G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round three preview edition and uh, third round already. Our season starts and uh, it flies pretty quick, but uh, a lot going on. Hard to sort of separate the end of one round from the start of the next at the moment. It's a bit of a whirlwind, but uh, we're on top of it all. And another big preview to bring you, as I say, a, a very good afternoon to my Footyology podcast co-host, Robert Shaw. How are you, mate? Good afternoon, Rowan. And you, I think you've summed it up perfectly well. You, 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 better get a, you better get a move on some of these teams because we'll be sitting here in a couple of weeks going, where, where did that first seven weeks go? So that's going to um, – these games are going to fly past. You know, you and I started this – a few weeks ago, and we're talking about round three. Good start is uh, more and more essential, I think, these days. I'll tell you, someone else who's right across everything too, that is our very good friends at Palmerbet. They are our official podcast partner, and Palmerbet gives you the best tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season when you do your wagering with them. So check out their tasty menu of football betting odds and a variety of other sports, of course. Of course, always remembering to gamble responsibly. But uh, Palmerbet, we are very appreciative of their support. So uh, thanks again, guys. We have all the head-to-head odds for the nine games in round three, which we will speak about very shortly. But first, some news. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, we had the uh, some weird, and wonderful, wacky off-field controversies uh, in that first around that first game of the season. A bit quieter now, a bit more conventional on the news front this week, Rob, which I know will please you. And here's one uh, actually almost made for you. This discussion. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Oh, oh dear! <laughs> uh, yeah. Some weird stuff been going on that I know yep. you haven't you haven't been too keen weighing in on, and I don't blame you one bit. But this one, I know you've got some very strong opinions on, and it has been a real talking point since the weekend. I'm talking about taggers, run with players, or as I've seen the new term, I saw Nathan Buckley use this in a discussion the other day, they are now being called coolers. As in, uh, you know, someone's running a bit hot, you put your cooler on them, uh, which led to the joke I made in front of a younger audience and wasn't appreciated at all, which was, Ah, I wonder who the West Coast cooler is. You don't get it either, do you? Don't you remember that godforsaken Well, I do, and I've got, one for you. I've got one for you that you and I will remember it. What is but it? But I'm not sure too many of our younger listeners will. That leads into the greatest cooler of all time, the Cooler King. You don't know? Come on, you're oh, not. Oh, no, hang on. Um, you're talking Come about on. out of the greatest scale. Correct. Well ah, done. Steve well McQueen. Done. Steve yep. McQueen. Well done. Oh, I'm glad I got that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very good movie, The Great Escape. But um, 
it's a really interesting discussion because Lockie Neal uh, cut a sway through Essendon, not for the first time last Saturday. Uh, in fact, his Brownlow votes against Essendon, I think he's polled two or three the last three times he's played them. If he gets three in that one, I think he's 11 from 12 or he's 14 from 15. It's yeah, one or the other. Well, it's good that Essendon's learning from their um, past indiscretions. So, uh I mean, it, it, and we also had the example of Brisbane served up in the same game when they were able to switch Jared Berry onto Zach Merritt after he did some early damage, and Berrett really contained uh, Merritt's output after that. So, a couple of good uh, good arguments for the tagger in the modern game. Um, where do you stand on this one? Um, it's it's a really good discussion point, and um, I want to take you back to our day, Rowan, when you were a young journo and I was fighting tooth and nail to somehow find four points for Fitzroy, I used a, a, a terrific young kid called Jimmy Wind. Now, Jimmy Wind was to cut the opposition out, a negative tagger. Um, and you could do that in those days. I have to agree with part of Ben Rutten's assessment that if you run a traditional tag, let's use Jimmy Wind. You have to take one of your premier midfielders away from the play, which you won't want to do. So my argument, so he's arguing that I don't want to take Parrish, I don't want to take Merritt, I don't want to take Stringer. It makes perfectly good sense. But the point I believe he's missing is that you merge it into a, an existing player on ball. The best example if it's good enough for John Longmire to ask his captain, Callum Mills, look, can you go across and keep an eye on Dangerfield? You don't lose anything out of the midfield in Callum Mills. That's where he's starting to emerge, isn't he? Mm. You don't lose anything there. Mm. So my point is, it is an adjustment to momentum using existing players. That's different to Fitzroy in the 90s. Well, hang on, hang on. Yeah, I, yeah. I love this and I'm going to keep going. This is where I disagree with Ben Rutten. He thinks someone's got to move out and I've got to bring in Dylan Clark to tag. Mm. No, yeah. you read the momentum. The momentum clearly changes at your disposal on the ball. You had Jai Corwell, a noted pressure inside player, and you had a very smart player called Andrew McGrath. Mm. So you don't take one of them out. You send the runner out. Neil's got going. He's had the last five clearances. And I'll say that. You wouldn't say it like that. Would you mind if you just moved across and sacrificed your game for 15 minutes? Call him off. So I agree with Nathan Buckley's terminology. Call him off till we can reassess and adjust at three-quarter time and we'll give you some feedback. So I'm 100% in doing that with your existing players. And and I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with doing it with Parrish. There's nothing wrong with doing it with Merritt and mm. work off him. Well, the other, yeah, no, good, good points. The, the other way of handling this too, and we've seen this approach in the past, is you get a guy whose primary responsibility is shutting down an opponent, but then they become so proficient at that, then they're able to expand their offensive game and a good example that just sprung to mind for me, and it was about the last time Essendon was a premiership status team, was Damien Peveril. 
who came in and was a fantastic shutdown player. But the longer he did that job, he then became not a not a high possession winning player, but he began to accumulate a lot more possessions years down the track because he, I guess he did the run with stuff he was able to do so instinctively, he was able to get off the chain a little bit more. So you can also take that longer term view and think we have to develop a, a starting midfielder whose primary responsibility is defensive, but knowing that as he gets more accomplished in that role, he can then expand the offensive part of his game. And if you use that type of player, then you have an opportunity to keep Lockie Neal looking around. If if a Corwell or a McGrath, or let's say a Devon Smith, who from all, even though he did a reasonable job on Rich, he, he had four possessions. So mm. another way to do this role, and this is, this is what I'm saying about Ben Rutten's statement, there's three versions of this, Rowan. Mm. There's, you know, there's the outright negative. There's the one you use that I prefer. Let's just move a good player to him, sacrifice your game. Hey, but let's see if we can get him the other way. And, you know, then then there's the player that's out of form. So let's make a win-win situation. Devin Smith, best and fairest midfield forward, poorly out of form. Let's try and get a win-win with Devin Smith going to Lockie Neal. So yeah. it's not about all-out tag. It's about using the available forces at your disposal without limiting their capacity to play, but having one of them adjust because Lockie Neal and Patrick Dangerfield are, are, are pretty significant parts of the uh, Brisbane and uh, Geelong Orchestra. Now, just to the audience uh, wondering why we're talking Essendon here, we're not just talking Essendon. This is a good example of a a debate that I guess, or a question that coaches in terms of cross competition will be asking themselves, but it, it is particularly pertinent to Essendon again this weekend, Rob, because they're playing Melbourne and not arguably, I reckon universally probably at the moment acclaimed best player in the competition, Christian Petrarca <laughs> presents a considerable obstacle. Do you think Essendon will tag Petrarca? No, I don't. Really, and the reason being, he's uh, six foot three, and um, nearly a hundred kilograms. Is he six foot three? Yeah, you're joking. Wow, he is, he is physically. Is uh, he Crips really a hundred kilograms? Ninety-five, ninety-four. Yeah, we, wow. And so he's a, a physically impossible matchup for Essendon. Yeah, they've got a real issue there. Stringer has the physical capabilities, mm. but hasn't got the stamina. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, Oliver, another one, Viney, they're all strong physical, which is exactly what their opponents on the weekend haven't got. Yeah. It's gonna, anyway, we'll talk about that game later. I, I would make sure if I was planning this, there's not a lot you can do about him. So you're going to have to get Parrish and that to get a lot of the footy. But the bloke that worries me, not more than Petrarca, is a bloke outside, Langdon. you got to put someone on Langdon. Mm. you got to stop him up and down the ground running. He, he's a terrific player and complements those stronger physical players beautifully. So I'd, I'd stop him executing. Yeah, well, I guess the coach is always that question of balance you've got to ask. At, at what point 
are you sort of worrying too much about the opposition and taking away from your capacity to uh, be as attacking as you want to be? But um, look, it's yeah. I mean, bet run. It's a bad. It's a bad week to be without uh, a Zach Merritt and a Kyle Langford. Langford. Well, Langford would have been pretty good matchup for it. But you, my, my point about this is, if if you're coaching a Fitzroy or if you're coaching a middle of the road Essendon, a traditional right, how do you bridge the gap? Hmm. How do you bridge that gap? It's all right for Richmond not to run a tag, hmm. or the West Coast Eagles back in the '90s don't run a tag, right? Hawthorne did with Anthony Condon and these sort of blokes. They did, yeah, yeah. but. For those teams between 7th and 13th, they're going to bridge that gap, take away one of their players, take away something the opposition wants. And I don't think under Worsfold and Rutten, Essendon haven't put enough work into taking away what the opposition want. Just 10 or 20%. Take it away and then go on your go on your merry way. Play your system. Play the way you want to play. But for goodness sake, cut the head off the snake. Yeah, look, um, I tend to agree with you. And uh, it, it is a really good debate. And I think we might be hearing a lot more about it this year because uh, we're seeing so many champion midfielders cut games open. And Petrarca and Neil, just two examples again at the start of this season. All right, before we get into the previews, one more uh, important item of news and uh, not getting the attention Buddy's 1,000th goal got, of course, and that wasn't that amazing scenes up in Sydney last Friday night. But we do have another important milestone being reached in the game this weekend, and that is when Geelong captain Joel Selwood becomes the most capped captain in VFL slash AFL history. He will lead the Cats for a 227th game uh, when they take on Collingwood at the MCG on Saturday evening. Remarkable achievement. Selwood took over as skipper uh, after Cameron Wing retired uh, post-2011. Of course, that was the year of the Cats' last premiership. Um, He has been captain ever since. Just to give you an idea of the company he keeps, Equal with him at the moment on 226 games is the great Stephen Kernahan, Carlton champion. Then you've got the arguable, well, not arguably, greater, really, Sir Dick Reynolds, triple Brownlow medalist, 224 games as Essendon captain. Nick Rewalt, 221 games at the helm of St Kilda. Teddy Whitten, 212 games with Footscray. Michael Voss, Matthew Pavlich, Trent Cotchin, John Nichols, Wayne Carey, and Scott Pendlebury, another current day player, make up the list of the uh, longest serving captains in football history. He's been, we know what a remarkable player he's been. But it's interesting, isn't it, Shuri, that uh, Selwood's three flags have all come in that period before he was captain. They haven't been able to scale the summit since then, certainly not for want of trying, but uh, he has been a fantastic leader for that side. And rightfully, uh, I think now entering the discussion as uh, one of the very best handful of captains the game has seen. Yeah, as I, uh, when I grew up in Tassie, um, um, the aura was um, uh, when TV came to Tassie and the replays, the aura 
and you've mentioned him in those numbers, the aura was around John Nichols mm. and, and the immense impact he has, not only a ruckman, but as a leader of Carlton. He did it both as an example. Um, Kernahan's been great. I had, uh, I had uh, as a 17-year-old, I had Des Tuddenham into Ken Fletcher, Ron Andrews, the two Danaher boys, Bomber Thompson, and then I in, was involved in coaching with Hurd. So I've been... I would call them very good captains. Uh, they haven't reached the same numbers. Um, some of them are outstanding captains. Well, but, of that of that group, then who, who mm. push comes to shove, who is the best captain of that group you've mentioned? I thought Terry was. Yeah, Terry Danaher and, was. And, and why? Why? Um, the capacity to. Um, it's a very good question, and I don't want to. Yeah, I'll just answer it. He could engage with you, me, the bootstutter, the president. He was home with everybody in that football club. He made everyone feel welcome. If you walked into the club, he'd go straight for you. How are you? You know, you know mm. that. Mm. And he would make you welcome. So he embraced all aspects of the football club. Um and the others were a little bit different. But Terry was the best as a captain of the club. Yeah. Heard was the best player. Tuddenham was the most fearless, or closely followed by Andrews. Neil Danaher, the most organised, methodical, precise, but a lot different to Terry. Um, and, of course, Heard was just, follow me. If you follow me, I'll take you wherever you want to go. I think there's an argument that in the modern environment, um, you know, now these guys are full-time. They spend so much time at the club. There's so much of their um, work as a captain happens beyond the official game day environment. It's probably in some ways harder to judge what makes a good captain because, what you know, what I'm saying, you look at a John Nichols and a Ted Witten, well, oh, 80% yeah. of their role as captain was what went on in the game, isn't it? You know, they weren't around the club as much. They didn't train as much. These guys are doing it, you know, eight hours a day now. So that off-field stuff becomes more important. And I think you get different types of captains now, don't you? Selwood, in a way, is still an old-fashioned sort of captain in that he's so obviously courageous and inspirational with that example on the field. But I think back to other captains who, um, and not for a moment saying, you know, this guy wasn't courageous because he actually was. wasn't noted as a superstar, but I think of another really good captain and a dual premiership captain who probably doesn't get the kudos because a lot of the good captaincy leadership stuff he did was away from the public spotlight. And I'm talking there about Mark Bickley from Adelaide. Yeah. Coach Bix. Yes. It, it, it's a great, it's a great point. There were, oh, he was tough. He was courageous. He was, but he was a halfback flank, a bit of midfield, bit of wing, but there was, as you say, Rowan, there were six or eight players in that side, particular that premiership side that were better players. Were there any more important? Probably not. Mm. It's a really, uh, look, no doubt, Selwood right up there among the best captains we've seen. Guy you mentioned at the outset when you were talking there is the first one that came to mind for me. One of the first players I remember watching in action, but reading about, hearing about. You, you hear players talk about John Nichols with this sense of awe, even teammates of him. And they almost, it was almost like they had a relationship with him as a teammate 
more like a player might have with a coach. That's how respected he was and how senior he was seen, even by experienced players. And I look at that and I look at that presence he commanded on the field. And it's pretty hard to go past him for me as the greatest captain that I'm aware of in my you know years watching football. But um, there's no doubt the captain is still a hugely important part of a side. And, and Selwood's example for that next generation of cats post those premierships has what, been fantastic. Why Terry Danaher and Stephen Kernahan were so great, and you talk, you 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 talked about it. Um, at the height of their captaincy, they also had full time jobs. Mm. So they yeah. not only led on the field, but despite having jobs, they still Kernahan and Danaher united football clubs off the field. With their personality, their charisma, their determination, their no-frills bullshit, you know. You think Terry, our oh, best bloke I've ever met. Hard as nails, Terry. I'm oh, telling yeah. you. You know that, yeah, you yeah. know. And Kernahan was the same. Yeah. You take a step out of line. They had fun. They both enjoyed a drink. They both enjoyed sitting around a pub and having a counter meal and chatting. But, by gee, did they play for their footy club. And if yeah. you didn't, you're in a lot of strife. So... Great segment, Rowan, on captaincy. It's it's uh, it's a ripper. So well done, Joel Selwood, and it's great to see that Stephen Kernahan will be going to the game to shake his hand. That's oh, a that great right? touch. Yeah, yeah no, that's a great touch. Yeah, no, that yeah. is really good to see. So big moment Saturday night when Geelong plays Collingwood. Joel Selwood, two hundred and twenty seventh game as Geelong captain, establishing a new record. That is our news for this week. We have nine massive games to preview within an inch of their life. Let's do that now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round three gets underway on Thursday evening at Marvel Stadium with what should be a corker. It is a rematch of the 2016 grand final, if you like. It is between the Western Bulldogs and Sydney uh, head-to-head odds provided by our official podcast partners, Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And a very tight contest odds-wise here, uh, Palmerbet have installed early in the week, it should be said, but uh, Palmerbet have installed the Bulldogs as marginal favourites, paying $1.85 head-to-head. Sydney is paying $1.85. 95. This game is at Marvel Stadium Thursday, 7.20 p.m. Rob, these sides are 3-3 since that memorable 2016 grand final. Mm. Um, Interesting, though. Sydney, uh, they play this ground pretty well. They have won four of their last five games at Marvel Stadium. Just to interrupt you, I hadn't done my homework, and I was going to question without notice – that was my first one. Do these blokes play all right where the dogs play real well? Well, they do. I, I, I've had a theory about Sydney at um, at Docklands for some time. And uh, is it, I don't know, our perception of Docklands is it's a smallish ground. Does that have anything to do with it? Well, there was a period. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a period Sydney weren't playing that well on the SCG, which is as small as it gets. But um, I don't know. Some Maybe it becomes a psychological thing. But their record there is quite good. Um, look, we should uh, just zip through the injuries, of course, while we can. Pretty important. Again, important to say that it's uh, fairly early in the week. 
But um, some decent news here on the injury front for the Swans. That is the potential return of Justin McInerney, who very quickly has become a very important player for them. Uh, still no Tom Papley at this stage. Callum Sinclair, uh, a chance. Would they need him, though, with their big man stocks? Looking pretty good at this stage. Uh, interesting one for them. Uh, Western Bulldogs, well, they've got some uh, important long-term injuries. Josh Bruce, obviously the uh, most serious of them. He won't be coming back till late in the year. Hayden Crozier is an interesting one. He fainted during that game against Carlton last week. He's had some ECGs and other uh, cardiac sort of tests, but uh, fortunately, apparently not too serious. So uh, he's in contention to be able to play. Jason Johannesson, calf injury, some sort of chance, I think. Uh, the big one they'll be sweating on is Aaron Norton, Rob, because uh, calf injury, uh, you'd think probably unlikely at this stage. And Tim O'Brien, uh, they need him to come back and well, come back. He hasn't debuted for him yet to shore up that defense. Is he on the horizon, Rowan? Yes, he, no, he's, he... a, he's a chance for this week. Okay. Uh, Bailey Smith, the other one, yep. uh, would be a very important return this week from a hip injury, which unusually for him, kept him out last week. How, how do you see this one unfolding? I'm glad I asked the question about the ground because I, I do respect the Bulldogs' capacity to apply pressure at that ground, at ground level. I'm not sure the Dogs can manufacture 12-plus goals and hold the Swans. Um, the Sw uh, Two good young kids coming back in, as you alluded to, in McInerney and, of course, Bailey Smith. Um, how do they kick goals without Norton? I expect him to miss. And, of course, Josh Bruce. Tim O'Brien will come back in. He'll give some relief in that area with Tim English. But I'm not sure. I don't know where that 12 to 15 goals are going to come from. Ground level, um, you know. Um, and I think Longmire, you know, it leads into the discussion we had in the news. Longmire's coaching last week was the Mills... Dangerfield one was first class. I don't think he'll do it in the midfield this year, this time. I think he'll look at young Goulden to go to Caleb Daniel off a halfback flank. And if he can cut Daniel's supply, geez, it's going to be hard for the dogs. Despite their well-known depth in the midfield, it's going to be hard for them to manufacture scores. Yeah, you're right. Um, my butt on the Bulldogs, and, and a positive butt, like in the sense that they have some hope, is the fact that uh, whilst they lost that game last week, they were running all over the Blues at the end of it. They kicked 2-7 in the last quarter. They had so many gettable shots of goal they missed. Probably just about could have won. In fact, um, I did a video about this for BSPN the other day. That one side, you could argue, kicked themselves out of a win last weekend. In, in, in expected scores is a way of uh, measuring who should have won a game. There were four... Winners in round two that uh, on the expected scores uh, front ended up getting less than their opposition. And the Bulldogs are one of them. So they weren't without their chances. But like you, we're presuming Norton doesn't play. And that's, you know, given that Bruce is out, given the sort of issues they've had uh, getting scores on the board, that is a massive out for them, isn't it? And given the fact that even though teams defend from the front half, the back six is really fantastic. We spoke about Paddy McCartan, uh, the other McCartans there, uh, the reliable Rampey, uh, Josh Kennedy's switch back to a halfback flank, a little bit like the Pendleby role, although 
even Josh would be the first to admit wrong. He's not the Rolls-Royce mover, but he could be just as effective. And of course, there's the revelation from inconsistent half forward to wing to half back in, uh, in young Blakey. I think not only have they got the tools to hold the dogs, they can kick a winning score with Franklin, Heaney and Parker. And their back line is just fantastic. Uh, I'm going for the Swans somewhere between. I'm not underestimating the dogs. You're right. They haven't been terrible. They haven't got to the line. And I think they're not going to get to the line. Um, I've got the Swans somewhere between 1 and 24 points. Okay, fair enough. Um, I agree with you. I, I mean, look, the Bulldogs are my premiership tip. I do love the Swans, though. Just quickly, we haven't mentioned this guy and probably should. Well, that's your job. Okay, well, I'm about to. No, it was just I've given a given a guy a pump up. I really do love Justin McInerney as a player, oh, but in my uh, you know Swans young player love list, yeah, I, I've got him first. But I tell you what, creeping up on him is Chad Warner. I'm a huge oh, number fan. one. Yeah, he, he's a gun. Will he be available? Uh, why? Why wouldn't he be? Didn't he get lost when he walked out yeah. of the rooms and went down the street? <laughs> they're, still, of, yeah. they're still looking for him. <laughs> That's a great story and an incredible picture of Chad Water and Ollie Florent walking outside the ground. And <laughs> Rowan, they said it was more dangerous. I, I, I'd argue two Swans boys walking down the street with a couple of hundred people half charged. I reckon there's half a chance to be more dangerous than what happened on the ground. That <laughs> was... There were some remarkable little stories coming out of that whole fiasco, and that was one of them. But uh, anyway, just by the by, he's he's going to be a really, Who are really you tipping, good player. Mate? Come on, I am tipping. <laughs> give me the hurry up, eh? Yeah, it's un- that's unusual. It's no, a roll reverse. Right. Um, I'm tipping Sydney uh, by 16 points in yeah. what I think will be a very, very high quality game. Both the same. All right, that is, um, by the way, we haven't, uh, we're just quickly, let's touch on the tips too. You are leading by two now, but I did get one back on you um, in round two, as a matter of fact. I end up with uh, five for the round. No, six. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, five for the round. No, I've completely stuffed this up. No, you've got more than that. Yeah, I've got six and you got yeah. five. Yeah. So, so what's you, that? 13 to me and 11 to me. So that's where we are heading. Where would that, it, with the with the uh, the national papers, yeah, where would that put us? Are we are we right oh, up there? You reckon? I don't check that. No, I don't bother with the mainstream media anymore, right? No, <laughs> for no. for reasons I'm prepared to talk about at another time. <laughs> we could do uh, that with news, couldn't we? One yeah, day we could, and we probably will. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. That is the Thursday game. Let's talk about Friday night. The second game of round three, and uh, unusually, one of two games scheduled for Friday evening. I'm trying to remember the last time we had a Friday night double header. I seem to remember that happening back in the late 90s, but uh, certainly been a long time. But the first, chronologically anyway, the first of the two Friday night games this week is at the MCG, 7.20 p.m., and it sees Melbourne up against Essendon. The reigning Premier, two from two so far without major incident. Uh, Essendon in a world of pain, two losses from two and some injuries to key players. Uh, those misfortunes probably reflected in the odds thanks to Palmerbet. Head-to-head, the Demons paying just $1.23 and Essendon a lucrative 
$4.20. That's uh, as long a price as the Bombers will have been for a while, I'd suggest. Those head-to-head odds from Palmerbet get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season, thanks to Palmerbet. You know, the other uh, statistical oddity about Melbourne and Essendon, Rob, do you know these two have played each other only once each season for the last 16 years? That is odd, isn't it? Well, the last I don't time, know why. Because, well, well, hang on. Last time Melbourne and Essendon played each other twice in a season was 2005. Well, we know one of those teams probably haven't deserved um, blockbuster status. Mm. Essendon hasn't won a final since that time. Mm. And uh, Melbourne, they've been okay. They've pushed up there a couple of occasions. But I, I, I don't know whether these clubs have actually deserved that status, Rowan, to have two big games at the Melbourne Cricket Ground twice a year. Oh, it's just you, you'd expect, uh, you know, you in would expect ro- it. Ro- yeah. rotation of sides that playing each other me. twice. I'm, um, trying, I'm guessing the reasons. I've got now, no idea. Now, as far as head-to-head goes, uh, Melbourne have won four of the last five clashes with the Bombers. Um, the other statistic of note here, Rob, and uh, I think a few Bombers becoming more aware of this, Essendon has now lost four of its last five appearances at the MCG, suggesting they have uh, more of a fondness for the smaller and more pristine environment of Docklands. But uh, either way, whatever that is, whatever is the case with that argument, Essendon, no doubt, going into this game with a huge challenge and uh, pretty considerable underdogs. What are your thoughts on this one? A lot of tears being shed over uh, Zach Merritt. Teams get injuries. Good players get injuries. Mm. Richmond, read out Richmond's injury. I know they're experienced grand final side. We've lost one player. They get Martin, they get Shield back. Push on. Maybe bring in Wanganane. Maybe bring in Young Hobbs from uh, from the VFL. But uh, let's not uh, get too carried away. It's not the end of the world. And I would expect a continuation of that improved form. And I'll tell you why. Salem's out. Last time he was dominant off halfback flank and he had 10 marks. Lever is not going to get up. His combination with May last year attributed 16 intercept marks between them. Their partnership just demolished Essendon because of Essendon's delivery. So there's a few holes there if Essendon can actually manufacture some positive inside 50s. Um, We've spoken about Petrarca. Um, I think it's impossible for them to run with him or to cool him. Right, Rowan? Is that the right phrase we're using now? So footyology is going with cooling. No, only in a satirical context. Okay. Okay, I think, um, so they've got a few injuries too, Melbourne, um, and very important players. Last week, Brown, two goals, Bailey Fritch had kicked one, Jackson was awesome, and um, uh, they were really pushed. But that's my worry about this game. We spoke about how powerful and good teams sometimes have awkward draws play interstate, get the job going and come home. I think Melbourne are going to be really set for this game. And I think they might bring in Luke Dunstan. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I'll tell you why. His form's been good. Or Jake Melkstrom off a halfback flank. So they've got experienced backups to come in. Melbourne are the number one contest, physical contest team from last year. 
and they've started off the same way. Essendon have improved, but they are 16th. If I was Melbourne, I'd bring in Dunstan, keep the pressure up in the midfield and physically go at Essendon. Well, you mentioned uh, Jake Melksham. I think another former Essendon uh, face in uh, Michael Hibbard might be a chance to return uh, as well. Is he a chance or is he I still got so. that groin, Rowan? I think uh, I've yeah. got Lever and Hibbert still out oh, okay. of, of that right. premiership back line. Yep, um, no, go with that. But their depth is good. Uh, just look, when you did make a good point about Essendon injuries. We should, however, mention them. Um, Zach Merritt, of course, now not expected to play again until mid-season. So a major blow. Kyle yep. Langford, ditto, won't be back until mid-season. Harry Jones, missing him up forward. I know he's inexperienced, but uh, missing his attack on the footy. He's another mid-season job for them. Will Snelling, third place in the best and fairest, as we've talked about a bit. He's not going to be back until, I think, next week at the earliest. Um, so it's probably... Just showing up a bit of a lack of depth for the Bombers, I, I think. And uh, interesting in that midfield, we talked about how how vastly improved Essendon's midfield is. Well, boy, they're all going to the the ones that are still there are going to be have to be at the absolute top of their game, given how good Petrarca and Clayton were again last week. I haven't week. got any answers for Petrarca, yeah. and it appears as though I'm not on my own because he's gone forty-one and forty-one. Yeah, My worry is that if Melbourne are flat, say, halfway through a third quarter, he did it in the grand final. He did it again in the grand final replay. He did it last week. He has this capacity to not go to sleep, Rowan, but to explode just like a, like a younger version of Dustin Martin. When the game is there, uh-oh, here comes the opposition. I don't know what Eskin can do with him. I, I think Cordwell can do okay on Oliver. And I want to see this kid play. Mm. I know he's had horrendous injuries and he gets a game. I want to see Caldwell influence and take these blokes on. And as I said, I'd like to see Sam Dermott or a McGrath type make sure that Langdon doesn't offer the supply for Melbourne. The ruck situation, Draper, well, he's become a bit of a cult figure. And to my way of thinking, it's time to refocus and get put your head down, and you've got Max Gorn and Luke Jackson. There's no bigger combination or contest than that this week. So, uh, right, yeah, so I'll leave it there, me. Give us um, a tip. Melbourne by 62 points. Oh, okay. Like a man that's prepared to back up his tip with a healthy margin, and that's, that is a big margin. Uh, last point for me, Essendon did push Melbourne pretty hard in their meeting last year, which was round 15, I think uh, 11 points in the finish. But I was having a look at that thinking, well, how did Essendon do that? They did it partly through a really good midfield performance. Who led the way? Well, Zach Merritt, 41 disposals. Darcy Parrish, 37. Third highest possession getter, Kyle Langford, 29. Two of those three not on the park this week. They just don't have the cattle to match Melbourne anywhere. Uh, Hooker's not there. Uh, Anthony McDonald's not there. They were, in, they were in the mix last year too. Yeah, correct and good point. They need John Coleman there, I'd suggest, to be a chance this time. And he's certainly not part of the equation. No, I think Melbourne wins this one. I'm not going for 62-point margin, but I think they're <laughs> going to win fairly comfortably. I'm going to go for Melbourne by 32 
That's one Friday night game, but there's another big one happening over in the city of churches. Showdown time. And uh, I'm going to spare you, Rob. Usually when it gets to the showdown, I launch into the Johnny's mid-80s classic showdown. What? Good friend of mine, Spencer Jones. You remember that? Oh, That's okay. Great. I'll do it again. There's going to be a showdown. Bit of cowboy punk stuff. Uh, the Johnnies, one of the great Australian bands. Anyway, Adelaide playing Port Adelaide. Uh, showdown 51, this is, and it's in the uh, prime slot of a Friday evening, Adelaide Oval, 8.20 uh, Eastern time, uh, thus 7.50 local time. Palmerbet, uh, our friends at Palmerbet get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, have installed Port Adelaide as a pretty healthy favourite despite that ordinary performance against Hawthorne last week. Adelaide paying $3.35 head-to-head thanks to Palmavet. Port Adelaide, the warm, very warm favourite, paying just $1.33. The showdown head-to-head record, it's always close. Uh, Port Adelaide has the lead by two at this stage. 26 victories they've had in this enthralling battle. Adelaide have had 24 Adelaide have won seven of the last eight. In fact, they'd won the last seven before Port finally struck back and won that last uh, few. In fact, they've won the last four now, uh, Port, as Adelaide has gone about rebuilding. Uh, Always a massive clash, always hard fought, regardless of current form injuries, you name it. Uh, What grabs you about this one particularly? Um, make some very good points. I'm banking on the fact that it do, it's a relevant uh, letter positions. Um, I found a very interesting stat. This is usually your absolute ballpark, and I apologise. I probably should have sourced, uh, read out the source. Since 1998, no team has had a 50 plus possessions, five more inside 50s, 10 plus clearances and 10-plus tackles than the opposition and got rolled by that margin. I can't explain it. You may be able to. They were Port's key stats against a young, developing Hawthorne side on their own ground. I know injuries have unbalanced them, but the game system should still be evident. Um they can get the ball, they can get it inside, they did all right in clearances and they did all right in tackles. They didn't lose, Rowan. They got physically and athletically belted. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they were clearly, uh, as those numbers demonstrate, really inefficient when they had it and they played a side that was incredibly efficient and that really augurs well for the Hawks. But this isn't a game preview about them. Look, you can't. We, we need to run through the injuries because ports are significant. Alia Alia uh, won't be back for several weeks yet. That, Tom, that's is that sorry to interrupt, mate. That that is the big one. That's yeah. the interceptor. That's, yeah, yeah. That that stops the run. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, but uh, Trent McKenzie, uh, he'll be tested. Kicker. Um, yep. Yeah. So I think he's doubtful. Uh, Tom Cleary won't be back for a couple of weeks yet. But then up the other end of the ground, you know, Charlie Dixon. Um, probably another week away at least. Uh, Ratio Fantasia won't be back till mid-season. 
Robbie um, Gray, Rowan? Where Robbie Gray. Uh, test. Test. So I some reckon, sort of I chance. Reckon, I reckon Dixon and Gray might be half a chance here. But this, you know, they've been hit by injury at either end of the ground. I think what's been exposed by that, again, a bit like Essendon for me, is a, a bit of a lack of depth for the power. And I think that's a real worry for them. Look, the thing about Adelaide is that last week they were possession side. Kick short, hold possession. They didn't go in quick. So I'm tipping that um, they'll bring back Thilthorpe and they'll try and play a more attacking game because they saw what Hawthorne can do. Um, they've got to give their forwards some confidence coming down the ground. Their style of play will suit Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide were maybe even too lazy, Rowan, to um, contend with the Hawthorne ball movement. But if Adelaide are going to be precise and move the ball slowly, it will give Port an opportunity to intercept and get the ball back. Um this is not set in stone, this game, by any means. Uh, there's a lot of focus on Port and Ken Hinckley in the town. That brings pressure. There's no doubt about that. And um, Adelaide get the inspirational Rory Laird back. Rosie, Butters, these sort of players, Georgiatis, aren't playing well. So I'm, I think that uh, this will be upset number one for the round. And I'm going for Adelaide in a significant upset to win this game by six points. Wow. Big call. You're a brave tipster, Robert. It's, been, uh, it's proving a, a highlight of this podcast. You're brave tipping. Um, or stupid. <laughs> well, the showdown, though, it does have a history, I think, of producing results that aren't necessarily in accordance with how current form is. It just has that sort of emotional impact on on those involved, I suppose. So um, I, I, I don't I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Adelaide, I see what they're trying to do, but we did talk about this in, in the review episode. You know, we, with the amount of inexperience they have, is that sort of slower, more methodical, possession-based game going to pay dividends or does it leave them too open to exploitation when they make... Um, Turnovers, so very very hard game to play, and uh, just the last thing from me, uh, a terrific matchup in the middle. Hopefully, we see uh, we've discussed tagging and run with, but I hope we see a good head to head to battle between Keys and Wines in the middle. That'll be worth watching. Two big strong fellas. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Ollie Wines, can he be held in check by uh, Ben Keys, who's been a great pickup for Adelaide. I am staying with the favourite, though. Port Adelaide, uh, very unimpressive. They wouldn't want to lose a showdown or uh, they'll, they'll, come, they'll come after Kenny Hinckley again. So I think it's a bit of a must-win for the power. I'm going for Port to win by 18 points. So that brings us to Saturday with three games of the round already played. Six matches left, not all on Saturday, but a few of them. Let's talk about them. Well, free Saturday afternoon for those uh, who want to uh, get out in the garden or go to Bunnings or uh, I might avail myself of the opportunity to do something a bit different too. The first game on Saturday starts at 4.35pm Eastern uh, Daylight Saving Time and it is between the two relative new kids on the block in the AFL, GWS 
playing Gold Coast at Giants Stadium. Palmer Bet uh, are installing the Giants as pretty warm favourites here, paying $1.47 head-to-head. Gold Coast paying $2.70. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to Palmer Bet. Um, last time those two sides played, Rob was in the rather unlikely surrounds of Mars Stadium, Ballarat, uh, round 17 last year. And that produced an absolute thriller, actually, with Gold Coast hanging on to win by a point. Gold Coast beating Greater Western Sydney in Ballarat. How would you account for a circumstance Ooh. like that about 15 years ago? You'd think, what are we talking about? Anyway, <laughs> this uh, pits two sides against each other. GWS, not too bad against the Swans in round one. Very unimpressive against Richmond last weekend. And Gold Coast, well, they're zero and two, but uh, two decent performances, particularly last week, only 13 points short of reigning Premier Melbourne. Um, what do you think about this one? Well, you're right. It's a bad loss versus Rich uh, against Richmond by GWS and, and, and a terrific moving forward performance against Melbourne. I just don't, I, I think the Suns without King, um, they don't have a, a Noah Bolter. It's as simple as that for me. Um, Braden Proust will come into the GWS side and add some muscle, much needed muscle in the ruck. Um, just on the stat side, GWS are a side that rely heavily on winning contested one-on-one football. They have given up the second most points, and I'm going to whisper this, um, the most is Essendon. Um, They have given up the most points in the competition so far in a very small sample. They're not winning the one-in-one contest, which protects their back line. They're not getting it their way. Um, And thank goodness it's at the Giants Stadium. Um, They had, and, and even, you know, around the ground, they had plus 65 uh, disposals to the Tigers, but went inside their forward 50 at 40% efficiency. So they're not winning enough of their footy. They're not winning contested football. And they're allowing the Richmond, who was so efficient. We spoke about it in our review. How how efficient were Richmond, who went in nearly at 60%? Gold Coast have got the same issues. For all the effort last week and a really big tick to their performance, their inside 50s were 37%. Now, that's for a couple of reasons. Their ball movement, their efficiency, and the fact that King isn't there. This is a real game about win the ball and use it. And I think there's an edge in class. Um, both teams have got forward line players missing. Uh, there's a fraction more class and depth, despite the fact that Gold Coast will get Lockie Weller and Isaac Rankine back into the side. I think... GWS, if they're going to play a role in September, this is just an old-fashioned must-win. I've got GWS by 24 points, Rowan. 24 points for GWS for you. Yeah, look, really unimpressive performance against the Tigers. Gold Coast, I guess they want to break out of that um, trap of, you know, getting patted on the back for honourable losses, don't they? I mean, you know, this is what they're... Uh, this is 11th or 12th season in the competition. And, uh, you know, we're still sort of patting them on the back like the, the little kid. Uh, they need to get beyond that, no doubt. However, having said that, I think they were pretty good against Melbourne. I thought that was pretty impressive. And, you know, the luck factor, well, they're a side that, you know, they need all hands on deck and just 
we're going to say it a lot, I reckon, but uh, Ben King is just such a big loss for them. Um, just even having him up there against the Demons, who knows, might have been enough to get him a couple of goals and get him across the line for a great win. From that point of view, Rankin coming back is uh, hugely important. He, his absence, of course, when you put that alongside King last week, probably uh, the fatal blow to their hopes of winning. GWS... Um, well, they've got a massive out in Toby Green, haven't they? I don't know. Is any side as dependent upon one player for so much as they are on Green? I reckon he's right up there. And, boy, that suspension, uh, costly, costly, stupid suspension really coming back to bite them the season after it was incurred. Boy, that was a costly absence. Mate, I'm just looking like... We'll give the Suns a big tick and a, a little bit of a question mark over GWS. But let's say if the Suns played like they did last week, GWS doesn't improve that much but does enough. The Suns just haven't got that X-factor issue that Bolter was able to give Richmond against the They just haven't got that. And, and that's why um, if King was there, gee, I'd be tempted to go for the Suns. Because they, they don't fear these blokes and their record's okay, their form's okay. They're just not going to kick the goals required, I don't think, to beat the GWS. No, so it's not and... so much how GWS will play or how many goals. You know, can the Suns summon enough goals to beat this mob? Well, the other reason uh, King is such a big loss this week particularly is because GWS will be without Phil Davis, who tweaked a hamstring and he's not going to be there and in pretty good nick uh, he certainly held Buddy Franklin in check in round one so he'll be a big loss for the Giants. No, I agree with you I, I think the Giants are a bit ripe for the picking at the moment unfortunately the Suns just don't have the the cattle there to to do sufficient picking I think. If it was a Metricon I'd just about be going for yeah. them though yeah. uh, it isn't though, it is a giant stadium um, I'm going for GWS as well, but uh, even less than you, Rob, I'm going for the Giants to win that one by 12 points. So that so is. Can the, I just say one more thing? The reason can. I go for 24 points, um, I the home ground advantage, I know it's old fashioned. I reckon it's worth a goal a quarter. Yep. So if everything's equal, they should get over the line, home ground advantage, win each quarter by a goal, adds up to 24 points. That's my. Weird logic. No, no, don't think it's that yeah. weird at all. Um, all right, let's move on to Saturday evening with another two games going on then. Saturday evening sees a pretty big game at the MCG, 7.25pm. It is between Collingwood and Geelong. The Magpies, two from two to start the new season. Uh, their first under Craig McRae, very impressive footy thus far by the Pies, and Geelong, one and one, uh, made short work of Essendon in round one, uh, were made short work of themselves by Sydney last week. Palmerbet, our mates at Palmerbet get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Have the Cats as warm favourites. I'm a bit surprised by this uh, these prices, Rob. Uh, Cats paying $1.45 head-to-head, and Collingwood, it might be worth a bit of a flutter, this one. You can get $2.78 on the Magpies head-to-head uh, -head against the Cats in this game. Um, 
we'll talk about injuries and personnel in a minute. One interesting thing with this, so Rob, and I, I did have a look because my memory of recent Geelong Collingwood encounters is low scoring and very scrappy. That has certainly been the case. Three of the last four games between those two sides have been won with scores of 61 points, 57 points, and 61 points. Will this be a different sort of flavoured game? I suspect it will because I think Collingwood's really trying to quicken up under Craig McRae. And uh, sorry, no slide at you, Nathan Buckley. Um, but uh, the modus operandi hasn't worked more often than not against the Cats. You can't outbore Geelong. I think Collingwood's going to try and do it a different way, Rob. I've got no doubt about that. I've got my notes here. This will be um, an open game. Both teams to attack. Uh, Geelong will appreciate um, coming back from the Sydney cricket ground where they were suffocated. It won't be like the Essendon game. But the unknowns of Collingwood, these young players, they want to attack. They're well marshaled by Pendlebury and uh, Sidebottom, who are still playing critical roles for them. They might get Cox back to give them some height up the forward line. They'll certainly get Maynard back into the side. Massive inclusion. Sorry? Massive inclusion, Maynard. And, And you know why? Even though he was best on ground last week, and I hate moving a strength to cover a weakness... Their match committee meeting will discuss what Mills did with Dangerfield and with Maynard coming back, can they get Jack Crisp back into the midfield and to play a similar role, a similar important cooler role, but at the same time, as we spoke about, Rowan, uh, the capacity to run off and hurt Dangerfield going the other way. So that it mightn't happen... But Maynard's inclusion allows it to, if required. Yeah, look, I, I th- beyond all that too, and they're very good points, but Maynard is such a heart and soul player for him, isn't he? Um, he just really gives them a lift when he's out there. He's mere presence, I think. Um, yeah. Look, you're right. I, I think, um, I, I reckon this is a 110 to 90 game. Mm. Well, I hope I, so. I, because I, some I, of I, hope so, I hope so, because... Uh, yeah, because both will relish the opportunity not not to be downhill skiers. I'm not going down that path, but both will relish that Collingwood want to play on. They want to be direct. They want to get into the ball. And, and these young kids that they've got in their forward line want to play, if that makes sense. They yeah, want well, to play. There, there's a bit of freedom about them. There's a bit of unknown about them. So I think that rubs off on a team. And we've seen they appreciate quick ball movement. Geelong will appreciate quick ball movement in the hope that they turn the ball over, they can force Collingwood to make mistakes through their experience and the likes of Stewart in the back line and counter-attack. So um, I've got the Pies by 11 points. I think they might do it marginally better and continue this insatiable appetite for exciting football. And, of course, we haven't mentioned uh, one um, Jay Degoe, who's likely to do anything on the stage, Rowan. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's certainly got an explosive quality about him. Uh, we did mention him in a news segment, of course, Joel Selwood breaking the uh, record for all-time appearances as captain. 
And uh, I think the Cats will certainly be wanting to do him justice. But uh, echo your sentiments about we certainly hope it is a more open game because I'm oh, dead set. Some of those yeah. more recent Collingwood-Geelong games have been really, really difficult to watch. And they haven't been uh, low-scoring games which have been tough and contested. They've been a bit sort of contact-free, keepings off, and that is just the worst sort of footy to watch. So um, go Craig McRae is my exhortation. Keep him playing that open, running, attacking style, and hopefully Geelong responds to it. Just a quick one, Ryan. Um, just... Just for the one of it, I made the trip down the uh, highway to uh, Corio Bay, as Rex calls it, to Cadinia Park, to have a look at the young Essendon side. I make no no apologies for that. Um, Myers was good. He's back available. Uh, O'Connor played. We spoke about him last week. Segler had a run. Don't think Menegola played, but he should be available. So uh, Geelong's list is starting to get a little bit healthier. And they can pick and choose how they want to use one of those players to come in. Um, O'Connor, where could he go? Uh, maybe could he go to Dugowie? I'm not sure. But they've got a few more players that they use the VFL to run into some good form. Yeah, I think Myers could be. I mean, Myers is one of those younger guys that are desperately trying to get in and play more important uh, consistently more important roles in that side. You know, Max Holmes, some of those young guys, they need that. They need more spark, and I think they'll need it uh, against the Pies. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really umming, umming and ahhing over this. Very tempted to go with the Pies, but I'm a conservative tipster, Rob, and it hasn't let me down too often. I'm going to I'm going to stick with the Cats, particularly saying, I'm being serious here, uh, the expected scores had them um, should have uh, beaten Sydney on expected scores last weekend. Hang Ten's... on, just for our listeners. Oh, it's no, it's Come too, on. it's too what, hard to explain. What? Yeah, I saw it I, when you search through and you want to you want to come up with a stat. I saw that. I saw that yeah. graph. Expected scores eighty nine to sixty seven. Well, it's what you know. You get a, a it's shot. It's what who? Okay, just let me explain. You, you get a oh. shot for goal in a particular spot. Yeah, and at that moment the average uh, number of shots that are converted for goals across the competition from that spot is, uh, you know, might be 4.1 as in, you know, four goals, one behind. So it's relative to that, but that figure changes depending on how accuracy is and accuracy at the moment is terrible. Um, but I mean, the scoreline in that game tells you enough, doesn't it? Geelong kicked 10-17 against Sydney, Sydney kicks 17-5. There's one extreme to the other. However, Mate, we've yeah. got we've got 15 people listening to this podcast on their bikes at the moment. They've just run off the road saying, what the hell was Rocco talking about? Well, I tried to put it in layman's terms. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it was good. It was good effort. <laughs> uh, Expected scores, folks. Does get a bit mind-boggling, some of this stuff. Anyway, good on you, mate. You did well. I don't think uh, I don't think they're they're uh, beyond help. The cats put it that way. I'm going to give them another chance. I think they can win this one. I don't think they'll be winning it by a lot, though. I'm going for Geelong to win by ten points. The other Saturday evening game is up at the Gabba. Next cab off the rank is Brisbane taking on North Melbourne, 8pm Eastern Standard Time at the Gabba. Palmer Bet, 
get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Palmerbet has Brisbane, the hottest of hot favourites, paying just $1.08 head-to-head. And North Melbourne, if you want an upset, well, clearly the bookies think this would be a big one. You can get $8.10 for North Melbourne head-to-head. Uh, interesting statistical aside here, Brisbane has won the last four meetings of these two teams, Rob, but, and this was my memory, and I, I looked it up and it was confirmed, they've only just got over the line every time. 23 points, 1 point, 12 points, 20 points. That is a fact that Brisbane has been, over that period, a top four team, and North Melbourne has been at the other end of a ladder. So Brisbane hasn't found North necessarily an easy opponent over the last few years. Uh, do you think they've got any worries this time around? No, they haven't. They'll get back there. They've had they've had a terrific start to the year physically, right? And the way I explain that is they've had two hard-fought wins. That just sets up your year to me. Um, we saw what happened with Geelong versus Essendon and then Geelong go and play a pressure game. I always look at those games and say, well, Lions physically ready, um, getting back home, a little bit like Melbourne this can week. I, can I just chip in too here, on, just in terms of health, I think their injury list is almost the shortest of any side in the AFL. In fact, as we speak, the only two guys I can think of are Coleman, and he'll be back about round eight, and Eric Hipwood, who we're talking about mid-season, uh, potentially earlier than that. So um, they're in a terrific position in terms of their injuries, Rob. Yeah, it's been uh, – they're very important. Of course, on the other side of things, David Noble looks like he'll find himself without Davies Uganiaki and also the incredibly ta- talented Taron Thomas. So that's a real problem for them. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're both massive outs. In fact, I was watching that game against the Eagles and those were the two guys who look like lighting the spark, particularly Thomas early on, kicked a fantastic goal. Still some chance, I think, as we record this, but ribs taken to hospital, you'd think the odds against it. And uh, Davies Uniac definitely out with the concussion protocols. Um, of course, you know, other absentees for them making it tough. Jed Anderson uh, had that limited preseason yeah. without the vaccination. So they're missing him. Uh, they're obviously missing Ben Cunnington. And let's just keep fingers crossed on him. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure North Melbourne's at a stage where they can afford to be without that much talent. You add Davies, Uniac and Thomas to that pool. Um, yeah, I wonder if this one might be a bit uglier than some of those other clashes. Well, look, Greenwood would be excellent for them, but I would I would be bringing back um, Zebel into the midfield to um, definitely strengthen that physically. He could go and play on Lions quite easily. Um, Essen put a bit of work into Lions last week. Uh, Larky versus Harris Andrews or either Adams. It's going to be a very important matchup because... Without Larky's contribution last week, North Melbourne lose that game. Um, it's interesting watching them, North. We've watched uh, we've watched Noble come in as a coach. Uh, what to look for in developing teams is a distinctive plan or a method. Regardless of win-loss, regardless of um, uh, the scoreboard, um, is there a definitive plan or a method? What are we looking at? Are we looking at a 
a, a highly volatile, exciting running machine? Are we looking for defence? Are we looking for balance? I see he's going to bring Stevenson back this week after unapologetically dropping him, which was probably a good decision. And uh, I expect a reaction there. But they've, they've got enough excitement up in the forward line with Stevenson, Larkey and Zerhar. Greenwood will give them some grunt, but they're losing half of their midfield against a team that's going to be in the top four. Um, you know, so Rioli got four against them last week, so I'm a bit worried what Cameron, McCarthy and Bailey and Rayner and Zorko are going to do this week, and I think it'll be a 10-goal, 60-point uh, win to the Lions at home, unless it monsoon rains. Well, that's always uh, possible up uh, that part of the woods this time of year. I, I think the thing that has impressed me about Brisbane thus far is both those games, they've had to grit it out a bit, haven't they? I mean, Port Adelaide, they're in serious trouble. Port got injuries, but they had to turn that around. Essendon uh, on Saturday um, probably should have been six, seven goals up, and it might have been too far gone, but they didn't convert four or five in the first quarter left the door open, and Brisbane gritted their way back into that game, and then Neil took over. And in the end, um, you know, doing it on the bit in the end. And they're solid, aren't they? I mean, we know the midfield group's solid. They're solid down back, got some quality defenders there, uh, and they're prolific up forward. You know, the high-scoring side in the league last year, um, and they managed to kick a winning score without anyone really firing too much. They just did a bit here and there. Having Cam Rayner back's a massive plus for them too, both as a goal kicker and a possession-getting midfielder. Just really quickly, look, last year, I know they're a work in progress, uh, but as I said, I haven't seen a definitive plan. Uh, uh, what is your point of difference this year in North Melbourne? They were the 18th team at defending opposition trans transfer of play. If they give Brisbane half a sniff at doing that and moving the ball efficiently... Um, I'm I'm going to be close to that sixty points, unfortunately, Ryan. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm thinking a a bigger margin than a smaller margin. I don't think North has been overly impressive thus far. I mean, geez, they just got over the line against the West Coast side. They had to make fourteen changes, so uh, I don't think don't think that's a huge vote of confidence in what they're capable of at the Gabba against one of the best sides in the league. So uh, I'm going for Brisbane as well. Uh, look, let's not make it 60. Let's do a bit of a discount. I'll give uh, Brisbane a 50-point win here. All right, that is uh, Saturday covered off. Three games on the Sunday. Let's get into them. First game on the Sunday schedule. It is, uh, I like my historical throwbacks. Uh, it is back to you, the you uh, mid you to do. late 80s. Carlton right. taking on Hawthorne. Sunday, one ten at the MCG. Gary Ayres taking on David Rhys-Jones. No, that's uh, if you throw on a replay of the 86 grand final. Palmerbet, our mates at Palmerbet are installing Carlton as a warmish favourite, which is probably about right given how impressive they've been in the first two rounds. Carlton paying a dollar forty-five head-to-head, courtesy of Palmerbet. Hawthorne paying two dollars. 60. This is a clash that Hawthorne had an absolute stranglehold on for a long period of time. 
Uh, they won 14 games against Carlton in a row, Rob, between 2005 and 2016. Carlton have won a couple, including the most recent, but the scoreline from 19, uh, 19, 2005 onwards still reads 17 wins to Hawthorne, just two to Carlton. Going against that, Carlton has become a pretty handy side on the MCG, Shorey. They uh, they run well. They've uh, got a bit of excitement. Something about Carlton at the MCG, which suits them, I think. They have won four of their last five at the MCG. Uh, already one game there this year, of course, against the Tigers. Uh, and deserve favouritism for this one in what has genuine claims, I think, given the performance of both sides so far to match of the round status. Who'd have thought? Oh, there's no doubt about that in my mind. There's some experienced campaigners going around, uh, the Western Bulldogs and the Swans, of course. But uh, this this is a, a terrific game. Oh, and, and it's so hard to analyse because there's so many highlights. Just a quick one. I, I just saw briefly, Rowan, you can jump in here, please. Is, is Wingard a bit of a worry with a with a hamstring at the moment, or is he is he through? I just saw that just briefly then. Yeah, no, there's uh, the reports on him were more encouraging than oh, anticipated. So okay, thanks, mate. Uh, get, yeah, I okay. st- I still think less likely to play than more likely. I mean, not often you see guys getting any degree of hamstring trouble and being able to front up the next week. So. Uh, I think less likely than likely. Uh, certainly, fingers crossed there. Just while we are talking about injuries, uh, Jarman Impey, some sort of chance, I think, to come back this week from an ankle injury. Boy, that would be a big one for them. Um, as for the Blues, well, they're, uh, they've are got a couple of massive uh, names to return, or one particularly. Adam Chera, COVID protocols, he's out of them. He will be available, as will Jack Martin. Uh, two very handy potential inclusions for the Blues. And last week, um, Sammy Mitchell left out Liam Shields. So I'm predicting that Shields will come back in as a counter, not so much to play on Chera, but if they're going to bring in Chera to add to that uh, that midfield group, it might be a defensive counter at the selection table for Sam Mitchell. The other interesting uh, discussion centres around Mackay and Curnow, Frost and Sicily. But I want to talk to about another player. Denver Granger Barras is six foot five in the old scale. That's tall. That's as tall as Simon Madden, uh, you know, the, the Essendon Ruckman. He's kept Finlayson, Georgiatis, and Coleman Jones to no score. He's a marvel. Now, with the greatest respect, Rowan, it's not Peter Hudson, Alex Jezelinko, or Doug Wade, but still, his capacity to play that third string defender gives him a wonderful balance but i'm tipping he's going to go to kerno which will free up sicily to really support frost and to you know that intercept mark that they're going to need against kerno and Mackay. so there's a couple of interesting things that jumped out of me the shields issue and also hawthorne's very exciting dynamic but disciplined backline up against Two blokes who kicked nine goals between them last week. Yeah, I think either end of the ground uh, could really be where where the game's won. I mean, uh, usually the game is won around that midfield group, but either end is just so interesting, as you pointed out. Um, Colonel Mackay, how excited 
with the Blues be about how prolific an attack they might have with those two? Nine goals between them last week. Also, uh, the largely unrecognised pressure work of the smaller players, the likes of Owies and Durden. I think they're playing an important role for the Blues. In fact, I did mention this. Half-time of that game against the Bulldogs, tackles inside 50 was 8-1, to and that was uh, hugely significant in Carlton's performance in that game. So, um, big test for those Hawthorne defenders, Granger Barash, as you said, Frost and Sicily, who has made a huge difference. But the other end as well. I think Hawthorne's had their issues in attack. The return of Jack Gunston, geez, a great player, Jack Gunston. I've tweeted this a bit this season, but I don't know what, there's something about him I really like. He's sort of understated. Um, You know, he plays that third tall role so well. He's such a smart player in terms of positioning. He's able to conjure goals from not much. He's been a terrific player for them. But last week, we also saw that his mere presence there probably took a bit of pressure off a guy like Mitch Lewis. And he's in great form. And he responded with five goals. So Carlton's defence, I think, has its work cut out for it as well against a Hawthorne forward setup that suddenly looks pretty potent. And that suddenly he's got Oscar McDonald out of the side. His combination since Liam Jones has gone with um, oh, McGovern has um, has worked really well for them. So not only has Jones disappeared off the scene, Oscar McDonald won't be there. Against both sides have got the two form uh, twin towers, call it what you like, forwards in the competition. Um, it appears to me that Hawthorne have the capabilities to hold Mackay and Kernow more than the key defenders have got the capabilities to hold Gunston and um, and Lewis at the other end. Oh, okay. I'm sensing sensing a bit of an upset tip here. Give us your tip. No, no. I'm going uh-huh. to stick with the uh, uh, the the Crips led Chera inclusion to get the count in the match of the day. Carlton by one point. Oh, one point. I'm going for the single-digit margin as well. I'm going for the Blues by six points. But uh, should be a terrific game um, at the MCG. Uh, real highlight, I think, of the early rounds this could be. So uh, if you're at a loose end Sunday afternoon, make sure you tune in. Uh, Rob and I are both going for Carlton, but very, very narrowly. Okay, next game on the menu, uh, down the road at Marvel Stadium. 3.20pm Eastern Standard Time, Marvel Stadium, St Kilda taking on Richmond. Palmerbet get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Our mates at Palmerbet, well, this is the tightest game of the round, uh, according to uh, the boys at Palmerbet. They have St Kilda paying $1.94 head-to-head. They have Richmond paying $1.90 head-to-head, about as tight as you can possibly get. Uh, They've had some very interesting clashes, these two, over recent seasons, sometimes unpredictable. Who could forget that night in 2017 when Richmond were playing incredible footy, but one night at uh, Docklands just got absolutely blown off the park by the Saints. Interestingly, I don't think either side is playing that well at this particular venue at the moment. In fact, I can confirm that since uh, last season, uh, St Kilda's record at Docklands, despite it being a home ground, is four wins and eight losses. 
And since early 2019 at this venue, Richmond has won just three times and lost five times. So uh, neither of those teams has a particular fondness for um, footy under the roof, it seems, in recent times. Uh, I'm having trouble knowing exactly what's going to happen here. What do you reckon is going to happen? Well, I know Damien Hardwick doesn't like going here, so that's the first certainty. Now, whether that flows into his team, I doubt it very much because I'm being uh, facetious here. But a, a huge boost for the Saints last week. We thought it was unexpected, um, and it was a great win for the Tigers. Also, um, we didn't tip that either, did we? The, we I did. Uh, oh, rubbish, did you? I, I tipped Richmond. Don't tell oh, me rubbish. Yeah. I know who I tipped. Mate, how, Martin, Lambert, Rewalt, Vloston, Prestier and Grimes. And you tipped the Tigers. I did. That's one of the tips of the round because, um, anyway, let's get on to it. If uh, Paddy Ryder plays and Marshall goes forward with King and Membry, the Saints will win this game. Uh, they found a real player in Josh Battle at fullback, 21 possessions, 13 marks. His job with Lynch, his, his role with Lynch is going to be important. He had 13 intercept marks last week, a real unheralded star of the round. And as I said, Membry, King and Marshall, don't forget at ground level, uh, Gresham and uh, Higgins who kick four, they're going to be a real worry. And I think if Paddy Ryder does play, and Marshall can rest uh, like a Jackson type in the forward line, at some stage it might force Bolter have to go back, particularly if Grimes... Is Grimes playing, Rowan? I'm sorry to ask that question without notice. but uh, uh, Doubtful, I think. Doubtful, yeah. So I'm going with Grimes out. That'll, that's, that's six keys out. They got away with... No, no, hang on. Apologies, Richmond people. They were superb in their tactics, their game plan and their efficiency with the ball. So if a, if a Ross can go to Cochin in a cooler situation and do a Steve McQueen, then I'm I'm thinking at, at Marvel Stadium that the uh, Saints can get away with this, but Ryder has to play. He had a good hit out in the VFL, and he just... Oh, I'd love to know his record, the St Kilda record, when he plays. I know you haven't got it. I'm not asking it, but it'd be a great, uh, be of great interest to me. Uh, Grimes, uh, just having a look. Grimes is some sort of chance to return, so that would uh, obviously be massive uh, for the Tigers. Uh, Jack Rewalt, um, I don't think we'll be seeing him this week. Floston, probably not. Lambert's out for some time yet, and Presti is still at least a couple of weeks away. So. Uh, some massive outs for the Tigers. Yes, Rob. While you got that page there, Ron, can you just look across to St Kilda? I think they've got an important player that's uh, taken a, a personal leave, and it was good to see footage. I don't know whether it was on the TV or on a website of Zach Jones back on the training track. Yeah. Now, is he listed as available? And do you think he's that important? I think he's that important to them with his hustle and his bustle and his pace that he could slot back into this side for this game. Yeah, well, look, the list has him as indefinite, but uh, often oh, right. not a not a great guide. Yeah, okay, in- I, only, I only saw it. Oh, yeah, you can still be a, like Anthony McDonald Tippenwood is indefinite, isn't he? But he's yeah. training. Yep, yeah, yeah. apologise. No, but, but he's uh, not ready. Yep. We, we don't know, but I mean, you're right. He is a very important player to them and particularly even more so, I think, given 
uh, Dan Hannabry's failure to sort of, uh, well, give them anything much really. He's been a bit of a, a bust there. This is the thing about the Saints. They just, uh, they have had this capacity in recent couple of seasons to pull out a real against the odds sort of win on the road. Does that kick start something for them? Well, maybe the first, uh, maybe the end of that first game against Collingwood did because they're pretty ordinary in nearly all that game. But last quarter actually did start to find something. However, that to me is what's ominous about Richmond's win last week, despite the absence of those big names. Um, against a side who was a finalist last year, they were terrific. Six-goal victors. I thought they really started to get that pressure on the opposition ball carrier back. Uh, they really started to get the opposition defence nervous, exiting its back 50. I think when you see, uh, I've said this a few times recently, Jason Castagna coughs a lot of flack but I reckon he's a bit of a barometer for Richmond. When he's up and lively and you're noticing him, inevitably Richmond are playing decent footy. Is it chicken or the egg? I don't know, probably a bit of both. But I think Jaden Short was great for him last week. Cochin was good. The likes of Marlon Pickett, you're starting to see him play good footy. Rioli off half-backs uh, been a good move. And Noah Bolter. Well, you know, there's been a lot of people waxing lyrical about what he's capable of. Wow. You could really see it in that game last week. He, I mean, recruited from junior footy as a forward, made his name as a defender at senior level, but, uh, boy, he he could be anything, this bloke. So there's some really good signs for the Tigers uh, last week. Not so much against Carlton in round one, but we really saw it last week. I think they can go on with it against the Saints. I, I just don't have enough faith in the Saints' consistency. So... Uh, I'm going for Richmond, Rob. Even at a ground, oh, yeah. they clearly don't enjoy. Give us your tip first. Well, I'm glad I took my headphones off then and didn't hear a word you said for the last five minutes because you're not going to influence me, Rowan. If Paddy Wright is in, I'm tipping St Kilda by three points. All right. Okay. We've got some very different tips. This is an interesting Well, if Melbourne, if Essen can beat Melbourne, mm. I'm a reasonable chance to go zip here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no, I'm having a cr- I'm having a go. No, it's bra- go. I it's, like, it's, I like it's the upset you. round. It's the upset round for me. Yeah, this is and, it, or the upset round, or the crash and burn round. <laughs> um, I'm going for the Tigers. Uh, I think they can get the job done by about twenty points. So, uh, Robert going for the Saints by three points. I'm going for Richmond. By 20. That leaves just one game to be played in round nine. It's over in Perth, and it is. And make sure you get this right, or you have the wrath of a state visited upon you. It is the WA Derby. The final game of round three at Optus Stadium in Perth, 6.20 p.m. Eastern time. And it is that uh, eagerly anticipated clash of bitter local rivals, West Coast and Fremantle. Uh, our mates at Palmerbet, well, uh, no odds on this game thus far. I think that's the case pretty much across the board. And I guess that has a lot to do with West Coast COVID situation, which uh, fairly uh, fluid, I think we could say at the moment. In fact, I'm looking at the West Coast injury list as we speak, and I'm counting the names on it. And there are... Hang on, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 20 names on the West Coast casualty okay. list. Let's get this out of the way. 
Is Answorth playing? Uh, he's listed as a test. Good. He's in. Barras, in. Uh, expected to come back, yep. Jeff, in. Uh, yes. The incredibly promising Jones, in. Uh, yes. The captain. No, not the captain. The former captain. The full forward to team up with Darling. Kennedy, in. Yes. Correct. Z- Zach Langdon, in as well. Redden. Redden. Hang on. Don't get ahead of yourself. Nick Natanui. He's I think you are. I think you're name. getting ahead of yourself. N comes I think before R. Uh, I think Palmer bet's getting ahead of himself. Fancy not putting up odds for this. Well, it's not just them. It's all is, of them. Is, is Waterman back? Uh, yes, he is. Okay. Is Darcy playing? No. Is 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 Fife playing? No. Is Waters playing? No. Right? End of story. West Coast Eagles by two points, and it's been a great day to talk to you. Okay. I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit more than that. I just, they've got eight back. Yeah. They've got eight back from a, like. Yeah, but eight back after a disruption to routine. Okay. Yeah. I think the other blokes, other blokes were so disappointing and they still haven't got some of their key players back. Um, Nata Nui can control this game from the centre square. Um, Mm. There's no Sunny Waters. Are you sure about that? Is he definitely out? What do you say? What's it say on your list? You're... Well, it says uh, uh, test. Test. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Nathan Wilson's a test. Uh, Tabiner. Tabiner yeah. unlikely. I think. Yeah. Forward. Like they struggled with Josh Battle last week. Yeah. What I'm saying, my logic. I know we're having a bit of a fun, but my my logic is, you know, you get Barras back. Um, remember last week, Larky kicked six, mm. but they get their full back back into the side against the side that hasn't got a recognised full forward. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think I'm being silly here, but it's a long shot. But I can try to give you a reason why the numbers uh, uh, will be closer than not putting up odds is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This game is like the, you know, um, last week Brayshaw had 39. But we've spoken about the numbers and look at the Jack Graham rule. Richmond's, uh, you know, if they cut out Brayshaw um, totally, which they have the capacity to do, um, did Nelson pull out last week with um, an injury in the warm-up? So yes. there's, an, there's an important player, if he plays, that comes back into that side at a half-back flank. You know, Barras, Gaff, Kennedy, Redden, these are important players against a side that's not travelling that well. This has the potential for another upset in the upset round. No, I think that's that's very good logic. And, uh, I mean, you know, that came within 15 points of beating yeah. North Melbourne with a third of a a side that they'd had in round one. So that was a pretty decent effort on the road. Uh, some seriously good players coming back. Um, Where do you think Fremantle, you're going to go Fremantle Rowan, aren't you? I guess. Where do you think they can beat them? No, I'm, I've got my doubts. And in, and in fact, you know, were it not for where West Coast are at, yeah. uh, I'd probably I'd probably tip West Coast. I, I don't have a lot of faith in, in Fremantle, to be honest. No, not, I did. We, we had them eighth or ninth. Yeah. 
can you can you confirm sorry again mate can you confirm the definite outs of their top 15 players for example well no i can't because it's too early in the week oh okay i thought there were definitely blokes out of their side West Coast that won't be back for some time. Oh, yeah. She- no, Sheed. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. So Oscar Allen is one of them. Very important. Sheed? Um, uh, Sheed is another one. He's not coming back till mid-season. Uh, Tom Cole. Good player. Uh, mid-season for him. Yep. Um, they're the main ones, I think. So only three. You can... Oh, Jamie Cripps, probably another Jamie Cripps, a very three good weeks player. away. Yep. So they've got four key players out of their side. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yep. Righto. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You've argued a very convincing case for West Coast. Do you have the metal to tip them, Robert Shaw? Yeah, I do. I've got West Coast um, round about a goal and a bit. So let's go with nine points. Okay. In a ma- in a massive ball up and a yeah. great win. Yeah. Uh, when those odds do come out, it'd be interesting to see what sort of price uh, they are paying. Certainly worth considering, I think, given your excellent analysis. Again, I'm going to be conservative here. I'm also going a bit on the, well, two factors. Um, the Derby, uh, Frio finally broke that run of outs in the Derby last year. This is one they really need to win for credibility's sake, given uh, they're trying to make something for themselves and West Coast are without so many. Um, but uh, grave reservations. And, I, and I, I think for credibility's sake, they've got to come out with a, reasonably emphatic response to last week as well, because that was hideously disappointing. Whose home game, Rowan, please? Uh, it is West Coast's home game. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. There'll be, 200, there'll be 211 Fremantle supporters in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a fair point too. Uh, home home uh, bragging rights make a difference in the Derby. I am. You're right. I am going to go for Fremantle, not with any... Great conviction, though. I'm going for the Dockers by eight points. So that is round three previewed. Just having a look how many different tips we have. One, two, uh, three, four. Yeah, four differently. So uh, it's uh, interesting talking points, our difference in the tips. Um, And you are holding the lead currently by two. So let's see if I can reduce that gap or you blow it out a bit. Interesting you, stuff thus far. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to our wonderful podcast partners, Palmerbet. Uh, get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season uh, via Palmerbet wagering. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. Please, uh, you can be a supporter of this podcast, uh, visit the supporter page, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, or better still become an official Footyology patron via the links uh, from Patreon, which are available at the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. All the best football analysis. Don't forget our team of the week every week too. Tom Thomas is our man for that. Pause over the performances of every player every weekend to bring you a combined footyology team of the week. That's up there now. Other great football analysis as well. Gil Griffin keeping a very close eye on the AFLW competition, which is down to the preliminary finals this weekend. Um, 
Two big games going on there. Melbourne taking on Brisbane at the MCG and Adelaide taking on Fremantle at Adelaide Oval. And we'll bring you all the details of those games in the AFL W finals series as well. Uh, you're looking very nervous there in the background, Rob. You're worried about I, I had the noise. I had the beep of death. Yeah. Battery low on okay. the computer. So uh, sorry about the shuffling. No, of no, no, it's all right. There. It's all right. We're, we're, we're on. We, we won't slow you down. We are almost done. Thanks, everyone. Just on the, uh, uh, I can't underestimate uh, or overestimate how important subscriptions are to keep Footyology going too. So if you can see a way to support us for $7 Australian per month, uh, we promise you get some pretty decent quality content it's all free. None of it's behind a paywall. We just figure that people will think, yep, this is good enough to be showing out uh, five or so bucks a month for. So please, if you can spare it, please do, because we really do rely on those subscriptions to keep the wheels ticking over. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great uh, weekend. Enjoy your footy, and uh, we'll be back to review it all on Sunday evening. We'll see you then. See you.